Welcome to Created Conversations, a podcast discussing issues related to equity, diversity, inclusion, and belonging. I'm your host, Shaliza Jamal, founder of Created Leadership, an organization that fosters partnerships with leadership teams, employees, and individuals to develop their knowledge in the areas of equity and diversity to build inclusive communities. I'm so excited to be joined today for episode two of Created Conversations with Samantha Krishna Pillay. Samantha founded the On Canada Project while nearing the completion of a master's degree in health information science from Western University in London, Ontario. Her passions stem from her lived experience as a first-generation Tamil Canadian, as someone who intentionally took time to focus on her mental well-being in her early 20s, which fundamentally changed her perspective of the world. Sam pairs this with her education in health equity, trauma and violence-informed care, diversity and inclusion, and system change, as well as her professional experiences working in advocacy in university student government and community building at nonprofits to passionately drive change. Samantha was recently named one of Best Health Magazine's Women of the Year and 2020 Health Hero, and the Tamil Canadian Centre for Civic Action named her a trailblazer in their 2021 Top 30 Under 30 list. Welcome, Sam. I am so excited to sit down and chat with you virtually, of course. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Me too. I know we've been wanting to sit down and chat for a while. So I wanted to start by, I know you've got a large following, but for those listeners who don't know about the On Canada Project, can you please tell them a little bit about it and what motivated you to start the project and how did it all begin? Sure. Yeah. So the On Canada Project started as the On COVID-19 Project um, back in June of 2020. And the whole reason for that was just, I think, public health communication was missing compassion, was missing um messaging that would be equity oriented and was missing sort of a values driven, uh, community driven approach to like how you would share information and ensure that the people in your community are set up for success. And we so we started it off like that. And then as time was going on, it became really evident that you can't talk about COVID in isolation. So we started broadening our conversation to systemic issues and inequities that exist in Canada that predate the pandemic that will exist after the pandemic. And I think what makes us different from other accounts or initiatives is one that we are in like the Canadian focused account, but also because um, we really take like a heart centered, human centered approach to communication and really try to make it engaging, invite people into the conversation, you know, not really put a value judgment on someone's ability or inability to, to believe a certain way and and to challenge people to sort of break away from that traditional status quo that we've sort of been conditioned into thinking is a thing um, and expanding it into sort of a movement, um, which I think, you know, it, it all happened very organically. It wasn't really something that I had planned to sort of take to this sort of level last year. Um but I'm really pr- proud of the team and the work that we're doing. And it's, you know, it's a collaborative effort. It's a, it's a labor of love. Thank you for sharing that, Sam. And I know, especially with COVID-19, there was a lot of misinformation and there was a lack of information. So I know I personally found a lot of your content really helpful. And you mentioned a few things that I really wanted to lean on, on is that you said that it was really heart-centered approach, a human approach. 
and what I would call, you said, non-value approach or judgment approach. And I think for me, that's really about empathy and calling people into the conversation. Because I think what happens is when we're in face-to-face having these conversations, there can be a lot of competing interests or opinions. And because we couldn't meet in person, I think that your page and your content and your website provided a platform and opportunity for folks to engage kind of behind their screens, but to really be called into that information. So I think that that's really important. And you also mentioned that there was a missing opportunity for community engagement or community-driven approaches. And I know that, uh, you know, that your page originally started off as, I don't know if that's still your target market, was really targeting youth. And so in your opinion, why do you think that there is such an absence of content specifically targeting youth when they're such a large demographic of our society? Well, I'll challenge that to say that I, I think that the private sector does a great job of engaging young people because that's where they know disposable incomes are starting to go. You know, we don't got a mortgage yet, so maybe we'll spend it on something. I think it was just catching the public sector and nonprofit sector up to the private sector in focusing content on millennials and Gen Z, which is what our project refers to as youth, even though, you know, some millennials are pushing 40, which is fine. It's just, that was a demographic that we were kind of going after. Um, A large part of it is like, I don't consider myself an expert. So I go like, I know how to communicate to someone my age and invite them into a discussion. So that is really why we've like targeted around these demographics And also because generationally between these demographics, there's a real like push for progressive policies, push for a change, a real coming of age story being told, especially for, you know, uh, BIPOC folk who like I always say, like, you know, I I joke with my friends that like a brown woman's 30s is what like a white woman's 20s are. So how do you sort of create like as you're coming of age and you're and you're growing and you're you're becoming your full self, how do we create opportunity for you to be a part of these public conversations and get involved and engage? And that's really what the focus of the account has been. Um, and I think also when it comes to like sort of from from me personally, and I didn't really know this when I started it, but community for people from a south, well, from I think I would say probably like all BIPOC communities. Um, is a very intrinsic value. Like that's how we're, a lot of us come from collectivist societies and a lot of the work that we do and the way that we see problems is from that perspective of how do you set the community up for success? So it was really natural to take that approach. And it was like, and I don't think I really had unpacked it until several months into it that like part of, it's just such a natural flow to lean into that and to and to want to engage the community and to hear them and listen to them and really hear them as like an equal collaborator in our content, even though they're not making the posts, but we are listening, we are engaging, we are being part of that. And I think that's something that was really easy to do for our team because most of us are black indigenous or like people, most of us are people of color. And then we've got, and so how did you do that listening? Cause you mentioned, you mentioned that the private sector is doing a good job. I think of probably, you know, advertising and, and getting people to spend their money. You talked about community. You also talked about the collectivist nature of, you know, a lot of our communities as a South Asian, I totally agree with you. A lot happens over the dinner table or when we're eating with our hands and talking, and that's a big part of the culture. So 
how do we listen and how do we communicate to invite conversation, as you mentioned? Is that through like a pulse? Like what are some of the ways you listen? And then your great skill you mentioned about communicating and bringing people into conversation. What does that look like? So I do a couple of things. One is I'm, I'm listening. I'm like, I think I'm really tapped into like public discourse and like paying attention to conversations that are going on. So, you know, when people talk about another wave is approaching, understanding that like, if you don't fully understand what a wave is, then it's kind of difficult to tell, explain the like challenge of what, why an upcoming wave would be concerning um, of the of the pandemic. So understanding that like building capacity with people is what's going to help them engage in the content and understand really well. So paying attention to the news is one component and paying attention to conversations that are going on and trying to identify those gaps. So that's definitely one area. I think another part though is just, and this is, it's, I know there are softwares for this, but we don't have that kind of money, but like the social listening component of reading through like almost every comment we get, um, looking at the direct, like the public reshares of our content, looking at our DMs and I'm actively doing that. And I like, there are other people on our team who do a bit of an analysis of it, but I think in steering and leading the organization, it's super important that I'm not asking someone else to do that and not doing it myself because my Mm -hmm. ability to have a pulse on what's going on allows me to steer how our content should lay out, should allows me to challenge our team to take the, you know, the more challenging, like to, to take on the challenging conversations because the other ones are going to be already covered by another account perhaps. Yeah. So I think that's, that's really been a, a couple of the biggest areas. And then we also u- utilize our team, like our team of 130 people, as well as our ambassadors who sort of help amplify our content on their own socials. Um, we ask them for a weekly pulse check to be like, hey, what are the issues you're hearing? Like, what are your friends talking about? Um, sometimes it might be things like, you know, JLo and Ben Affleck got back together. What's up with that? Or other times it's about like the, the, a new album that everyone's listening to. But often you're able to pull away and hear other pieces of it that are more engaged or part of like a social discourse that's going on. And then reala- realizing that there's a bit a way to build kind of capacity and understanding of an issue. So for something that might seem a, seem a little trivial, like JLo and Ben Affleck got back together, we also saw conversations online comparing both uh, Jennifer Gardner and Jennifer Lopez. And so that was our take on it, on like, that this is stupid. Only one of the Jennies want him. So like, it doesn't really matter. Like, we don't need to pit women against each other like this. Um, and then finding that narrative and telling that story in a voice that, isn't official and detached, but more conversational and friendly, which I think is our secret sauce sort of, is that is that we're not, we don't take ourselves too seriously. Like we know the work that we do is important, but we don't think that we're special for it or that we have to behave a certain way to do it. Um, I think we, we encourage our team and our, our work to show up fully because I think that's the best version of us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it shows up in the heart-centered way that you mentioned, right? It comes out. But, you know, you said that there's 130 members and ambassadors and, you know, the importance of a pulse. And you really demonstrate to me as I'm listening this type of leadership that's really transformational uh, and really bringing people together. Because how do you mobilize 130 people? How do you get them all to take a pulse? How do you kind of put this together and even get people to volunteer? I know for some of our listeners who have, you know, either nonprofit organizations or self-funded organizations, 
it's hard to get followers in terms of, you know, people who are uh, not only physically following their account, but also to get a following and to get volunteers. So how did you sort of get folks to be on board? You know, someone else asked me this uh, this week, and I'm, I've been trying to explain to people, I, I don't know. I, I recognize that it's probably hard to do what we're doing the way that we're doing at the speed at which we're doing. I honestly think that the reason why we're able to mobilize our team is because I don't see anyone as volunteer because we're all volunteering. I don't view anyone as a volunteer. I view everyone as a team member and I approach it and my leadership, maybe this is like imposter syndrome. I'm not sure, but I don't think I know all the answers. So when I'm in a room and someone has a way of making an idea better, I'm like, Oh my God, yes, let's do that. Let's go for it. Like I want our team to tell me that they they think my idea is stupid and that they've got a better way of doing it because who am I to say I know all the things I don't know. I, I like, I, I know some things, but I'm not, we don't exist in isolation. So like our solutions need to be collaborative too. And that's really the approach we take on the project. I'm a big fan of half ideas. I'll come to a meeting like, guys, I think we should do this. And it will be half of a thought. And I'll be like, who has the rest of it? Who has the rest of this idea? And the, how can we snowball this into the, into a final thing? And I think that, that hearing our team and listening to our team and taking their feedback into making solutions is helpful because often in spaces where I volunteered, when I pose an idea, the feedback I get is we can't really do that. And, or like not wanting to use it unless it worked perfectly in, in the existing framework that, that someone else had developed. But that, that sort of relationship to me is like one group has decided that their way of approaching it is like the right way to go and they can't execute without their team. But for me, I see it as I can't execute with my team, but I also can't make this by myself either. Like the, the overall structure and the, the framework. So I collaborate with our team on all those aspects so that we're able to come up with solutions. And I think that helps people feel seen. And I want to say that like, I don't think we're doing a perfect job at it. There's so many of us. There's a lot of different things going on. It's not perfect, but we're open to being challenged by our team. We're open to um, doing better. We're open to being inviting in, invited into conversations internally as well as externally around issues. So I think when you approach it like that, and when like in my heart of hearts, I believe that the initial idea might've been mine, but now it's grown into so many more other people's project that I don't really have like a, this is my mentality. I have like a look at this thing we've all created together. And therefore I see them all as equal collaborators. It does, you know, and I'm so glad you brought this idea of expert because I also believe that we're lifelong learners. I don't believe anybody's an expert, but even in my role, and in my position, I feel like I always get introduced as the expert. And I'm like, no, I'm not an expert. I'm continuing to learn. And this is an area of my study, an area of my work. But no one's fully an expert because things are always changing. And that puts so much pressure, you know. And I think it's, it's, it's about really sharing information because I really resonate with what you say. Because, yes, I study equity, diversity, and inclusion. Yes, I coach on it. I have a strong understanding but I'm not always right. And I think that my sessions and my work is so much more rich when it is driven by a community, when there is, uh, you know, a bunch of comments on my social media posts. And that's what I want. I want that community discussion and engagement. And, you know, that's why I really like what you're saying about bringing people together, giving them a seat at the table, making them part of your team. And I think that's so important. 
Um, and I, I think that's the challenge that I think I have working with folks because I think we're so socialized to find the one person who's our leader, to think about hierarchies, to think about perfection, that we are overthinking everything and not just going with our own free flow creativity. And sometimes it's hard for people to be creative and, and think that way. So I think that's a really great point. And I think, again, I commend you for bringing together so many amazing folks and being able to deliver and you know have these conversations with 130 people. I think it's amazing. And I think it just speaks to the influence and what folks are craving, like you said, right? And I, I love that. I, 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 we've had a couple interactions over the last year through like a variety of things. And I think the way that you've always shown up is like, not like I'm an expert in these things, even if that's how you're being introduced, like you've always shown up as like, I feel like your superpower is facilitating and like creating space and having conversations. And I think in a lot of ways, that's what we're doing too, but like on an Instagram account, um, because people, someone said to me like, oh, like Sam, I think, you know, the account, you know, you're, you're creating change. I don't really think we're creating anything in that way. I think we're facilitating space for a public discourse that's already happening in people. People feel a misalignment with the world. People feel like something is messed up. That's not me. I didn't do that. They did that. What they're missing is a space to have those conversations. Sometimes your social circle isn't that space, you know, but you still want to get find it and you want to engage in it and how do we nurture that in people and invite them to engage however they are able to like I don't know what every individual's life circumstances are I can't tell someone that these are the exact ways that you can go about becoming an active you know ally or um, exist in solidarity or champion change but I can give you some suggestions and then you can you know um, sort of like adapt them to your own life and do the best you can do for as long as you can, you know, and then we'll see where that takes us. But if all of us were activated in that way, a lot of, I think the way that we show up will be different. And then the way that we stand alongside each other will be different. And that's what this world needs right now. It needs compassion. I think that is, no, I think, I think that's super important because for me, I think, you know, sometimes I'd go to your page or I'd have conversations in real life with people when we're talking about vaccine hesitancy or we're talking about something to do with the variant. And it's sort of like this, this um, grounded thing where we can look it up and then there's sources and we can go and do our further research. And so I think when this epi epidemic hit, no one knew anything. And so we were searching for and looking for that information. And so I think to your point, you've transformed into talking about issues related to social justice, related to inequities in terms of the healthcare, in terms of many different aspects, in terms of, like you said, uh, you know, the way in which we perpetuate um, sexism and uh, white supremacy amongst women themselves, like the Ben Affleck, Jennifer, uh, and Jen and Jen, right? J-Lo and Jen um, Garner. Yeah. So I think that's so important. And for me, it's just that I see people are craving that information. And so, you know, I commend you on being that hub where people can go to. And that's why it's so inviting. And, you know, for me and for our listeners, you've talked a lot about the way that folks want to get their information. But then the next step is this action piece. And so I'm wondering if you have any thoughts or ideas on how we can mobilize youth, particularly Gen Z and millennials, to engage in so social impact, civic action, community engagement. 
what are some of your thoughts about that? Okay, so I have a lot of thoughts around it. I think the first thing is like, just to pull on that expert conversation again, like my, so volunteering is a privilege. Like the fact that we are, I'm able to do this for a year and live in my parents' house, you know, and, and like lean on a bit of savings and lean on my parents and all of that. Like that's such a privilege. This wouldn't work without that as a backup um, or a foundational support for me. And that, that can be said for the vast majority of our team too, right? Like there's varying degrees of privilege, but the ability to work on something to the extent that we put into this project, that's definitely a privilege. And that means that there are key voices still not being captured in the way that we do our work, which is partly why uh, we have started like a content advisory board in which we can then like pull on expertise that doesn't involve, doesn't involve like a huge hourly commitment to the work that we're doing. When I think of mobilization, I feel like the first step to that is under having a, like a shared collective like awareness on an issue. Um, and I think for a lot of time, there was like gatekeeping around certain pieces of knowledge. There's echo chambers um, that like we talked about so much in my health science degrees. Like we talked in circles and circles and circles about, for example, social determinants of health and how we need to have systemic change to like, and it takes an all of government, all of policy approach. And we kept talking about it for all the years that I was studying it. And then like nothing changed, but we know that to be true. And I think the biggest gap there is that we weren't inviting other people into these conversations. And I don't mean nonprofits and other people with a certain level of power. I mean, like everyday people who are engaging in the exact same world we're engaging in, but perhaps haven't had the ability to learn about this stuff yet. Maybe they went to school for something different. Maybe they didn't go to school. Whatever the case may be, they deserve access to information. So how do you invite people into those conversations? And I think that's what our project is doing, is building a collective awareness in Canada. How that how we mobilize that collective awareness into like collective action, we are still finessing and figuring that out because that that is a little bit um, harder. But where we found a lot of success is helping people with a starting off point. We don't need you to be an expert on anything if you want to take action and be an active ally. You don't have to have been doing this work for 10 years. You don't even have to have been doing this work for 10 minutes. But if you want to show up, if you want to start being part of the world that like we are all desperately craving but don't know how to build yet, then all you have to do is look up one of our posts and like take the first step. Just engage a little and build on that every day to the most that you can. And I think it's finding ways to engage in that. So right now we're, you know, um, for our for content on how like non-Indigenous folk can exist in solidarity, we gave people a list of things that they can work on on their own. Um, yes, this needs community action. Yes, this needs national action. We need systemic change around it. But we are also as individuals, big parts of these systems. So that individual processing and understanding is just as important. And I think that's where our project is starting to find um get comfortable in is like, here's how you individually unlearn. Here's how as a community we unlearn. And here's how we use that to make systemic change nationally or provincially or whatever, like regionally. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think so. And it actually, you know, stems something that I wanted to talk about was, 
You know, I find that the action piece is important, but we often think of action as like some big grand gesture. And I think in my practice as well, I talk about self-reflection and that personal change is actually what's going to make the difference. Whereas I think sometimes people want a recipe book or a toolkit and it's going to be a step-by-step guide and that's not how it works, right? But I think your points that you made really supported me in understanding that it's really about mobilizing youth is about engaging them through community through information and through those conversations really, right? And that is a way of engaging. It doesn't have to look like, you know, something grand. And I think that sometimes even I'm, you know, wrapped up in white supremacy thinking, okay, well, maybe we need to work on the data. Like what's the data showing us, you know? And as a, as a researcher thinking that, you know, my work needs data to be valid. And I think that's probably where we go in some ways. But I do think that when we come to the upcoming election, and elections, I should say, is that that's, I think, where we're going to have the marker. I think that's going to be the measurement tool, is how many more young folks, Gen Z, millennials, how many folks in general, perhaps even more Black, Indigenous, and communities of color are at the polls. And I think that's going to be what I think is the deciding factor and what's telling us that, you know what, we are at a cusp. We are at a moment of movement, of change, and of transformation in our society. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I really do feel that. And I'm, I'm inspired by it because I'm seeing conversations happening and I'm seeing people engage in stuff. And I think the Internet does this weird thing where you assume you have to have the same opinion as like, like we don't owe each other that. Like if you have a different approach on how you see an issue, I mean, I personally don't think that you can have different approaches to human rights. Like I think there's just one sort of thing there. But if this is if you don't want to champion the exact five things I champion as a person, that's okay. But what is the thing you care about that's going to make the world better? And how do you like take action around that? So if if for you that's indigenous rights and making sure that we decolonize and that there's, you know, just the 94 calls to action or, you know, take like people take action on it, then that's what you should take keep in mind when you're looking at platforms. If you're really passionate about climate justice um that's what you should pay attention to in in the in the platforms that when they come out it like that's how we have to start making these sort of decisions it's really looking at what do i care about and how do i take action around this i think it it's so overwhelming to have to understand everything um but there are pieces that each of us can own on our own and if all of us take those little pieces, it's less overwhelming collectively. Because then maybe I'd have a friend who was an expert, or not an expert rather, but someone who's informed about climate justice in a way that I don't know a lot about it. And that we can lean on each other and learn and share and have this like sort of reciprocal learning going on instead of having this like weird power imbalance around like who has knowledge and who doesn't. Um, yeah, I just, I think the world is ripe for a change. I think Canada is at that, like, sort of, like you were saying, that cusp of too, so many of us are like, what the heck is going on? Why are these the decisions that are being made? We're waking up to what white supremacy looks like collectively. We're waking up to what, um, what like capitalism has done to our world, like capitalism not paired with effective policy has done to our world. Um, and we're waking up to the patriarchy in a really big way. So mm-hmm. as we start to dismantle all of these pieces and look at um, the world that we live in, what's the piece that you're going to own? 
And it can be whatever you want to champion. Like, I don't know you. You'll have to pick the thing that you care about. But then let us know because our account will write about it and help you help with steps. And you can you can do your piece and and be that person in your community. Um, yeah. I think those are such important points, though, right? Because we're often at odds with each other, but we can all work together and do the same thing because we all care about the same issues in different ways and different perspectives. We're all living on this land, in this universe, on this earth, and everything is impacting us, you know? And I think it sort of piggybacks on the question I asked you previously and this idea of taking a pulse, right? And I know that everyone has their own issues that they want to discover and delve deeper into. But in your opinion, what have you been hearing are the most pressing issues that are impacting uh, Canadians today that, that you think that are really coming through either as DMs, like I want to learn more about this, or as things that your ambassadors or your team say, this is on our mind. What do you think that might be? So there's there's two big areas for this. So one is that like we've been working really hard to redefine what is a Canadian issue. I grew up not seeing issues that I that made me feel seen covered in the news. So um, when there was wars or uh, violence against a minority population in Sri Lanka, I wasn't seeing any of that. So I thought that meant that that's not important because I trusted our systems and our structures. And I was like, you know what? Like if the news isn't covering it, it it just must not be important. I didn't understand the role that all these other things play into it. In that same way, a lot of us come from communities that this is the first or second generation living in Western countries. And we want to still know what's happening back in our ancestral lands. And we want to know what's like going on there, but it's not covered in the media in the same way. So redefining Canadian issues to be like, if you're a Canadian and you care about this, this is now a Canadian issue. That's the end of it. It's not what does the news tell us is an issue. Like we get to decide. We're in the driver's seats of what's a Canadian issue. And if anyone else says otherwise, and by that I mean like giant corporations, they just need to shut up. Like they don't get to be thought like leadership and creating those spaces of those things. We do. We're the people. Um, so that's one area is that we're seeing a lot of requests to start unpacking these conversations of what's really going on in Cuba, what's really going on in China, what's really going on in these areas. And that's something that like I'm, that's a little hard because I'm not an expert in all of those areas. So we're trying to work with community leaders and partners to cl- create those together and do our due diligence and do our like homework in making sure that content is, um, is correct because often these are spaces where written accounts are not really easy to find. Um, and then further written accounts in English are sometimes more difficult to find. So, and like, you know, Victor's history is what's written in a lot of places in the same way here in Canada. It's super difficult for a very long time to find information on Indigenous issues um, because the Victor wrote the history textbooks and we didn't get told anything. Um, On the other end, we did a poll asking our community as we approach election season, what are the things you care about? Because we wanted to keep an eye on these issues so that we can like, you know, listen and respond with the stuff that they care about. And the three big ones that we heard was the truth and reconciliation, 94 calls to action. What is going on with that? Why is an action happening? Somebody like that's a priority voting issue. Um, Climate justice, like was the other big one. And then the next two were like third or fourth, depending on the person who put it in. And it was um, like income inequity, as well as systemic, like violence or racism or like oppression. Um, 
And then there's other things like the healthcare system needs like a rejig and why, um, you know, who does Canada sell what to and why and those type of things. But those were the sort of big four things that I was seeing across the board. And I think that's so reflective in the content that we try to put out because those are the things people ask us about. Those are the things that people are like, can you expand on this further? And those are the things that we know something is wrong with inside of us. Like we see everything burning and we're like, something's not right. Like there's, but no one's talking about it in the way that we need it. Like we have a political party that said that they need to invest in a pipeline in order to fund greener solutions. And that's like being like, I have to eat five Big Macs so I have the energy to exercise and then like get healthier. It doesn't make sense, but they're kind of like, our leaders are not used to the fact that we can gather now and talk to each other on social media. And that's what's really changed. And they haven't caught up to that fact yet. So we're able to debunk a lot of these things as a community that they're not seeing. Um, And I think that's where the power comes back into our hands when election season comes up is to be like, yeah, I'm so sorry, but that's just like a no for me. Like you can't just gaslight an entire country and tell us that this is not an issue or tell us this is a historical issue, but not a current issue and expect us to sit there and listen and accept it. Um, So I think that that misalignment or that feeling of something's off it rings true in a lot of young people in this country um and i think we want better for canada so why can't we have it absolutely and i think for me i'm hearing a lot about reclaiming or taking back power you know you talked about the media conglomerates and they do shape that but not everybody knows right if they haven't studied that that the media is owned by one or two big companies or big families that control all the news we get. Not everybody knows that. And so if we, if we know that, we can be aware of that and we can analyze and we can build our critical thinking skills. Because as an educator, I'll tell you, we talk about critical thinking in school all the time, but we don't develop it with our young students, right? With our, with our learners. And so we ask them to be critical out of the box thinkers, but we actually don't want them to because the system doesn't want us to be critical thinkers. And so when we, right? And so when we critically analyze the media, when we're able to analyze the information that's coming our way and we see the effects today of climate change and these wildfires that are burning and killing our land, we can see that. And I think that's a really important piece. And, you know, Thinking about that poll you did is that is it's so important because if anybody was listening to you, I think any of the of the candidates uh, would listen and say these are the four priorities, five priorities that we have, and they should be the priorities, and that's what I'm looking for. I think that for me as a Canadian who's going to be voting, I feel like it's hard to mobilize our power, and so you've brought a lot of insight into the ways in which we are coming back to community not only because of the pandemic, but because of social media. And so we are mobilizing. And I think and I hope that we'll have more power in our collectivist uh, actions to mobilize against some of these controlling tactics against white supremacy if it rears its ugly head in the elections. I think that that's a powerful thing. I agree. Yeah, I totally agree. And I'm I'm nervous, but I'm excited. Um, mm-hmm. I believe in young people. And I know that if not this election, the next one, because of the shift in demographics. Mm -hmm. Um, So 
I don't know. I'm, I'm super hopeful. And I think that now what will, what we need to see is like what leader is going to lead, who's going to show up for the people and not for the party, not for private interest. Um, and who's going to step out of the way that they were sort of, you know, taught to a government works in Canada and be different and lead differently and do better, not for themselves or their party or to get reelected, but for what people have identified as a need. And I'll be honest, there are no great options. We exist in a colonial structure. Yes. All of these leaders are people who have worked in a colonial environment. And what I've noticed is when you take a, even if you take a person of color and you put them in a colonial space, there's like a, like you have to start to like, there's, it's so hard to exist in that space, be successful and decenter whiteness. Like that's like, of their, you have to play the game. Almost. Yeah. And, and especially when there isn't the sort of collective awareness that we now are starting to get in our country. So these, none of these are super great options, but there are some options that are better for our planet and our people. And that's what I encourage people to know. And that, that feeling of like, I have that feeling with you, like that feeling of this feels so daunting. There's nothing we can do. What is the point? The point is your voice deserves to be heard and they deserve to earn your vote. Like that's their job. So make them do that vote and then let's hold them accountable together because they get paid through our tax dollars. And it kind of feels like they should have to earn their salary. Just do a mic drop because that's exactly what it is, right? And you've said so many great things. And I'm wondering if you have any ideas or thoughts. I know you said you're not completely sure yet, but do you have an idea of what role on Canada Project will play in the upcoming elections or what type of engagement you'll be looking for or hoping for mobilizing? Yeah, so we've been working on an election strategy for the last couple months. Um, I think... As early as February, we knew that there would be a federal election this year, like just based on people talking about it and, and insider info, which is trash, because if someone on the inside knows there's going to be an election, that should just be public knowledge, not insider info, which is just like mind boggling to me. But sure. OK, um, so we've been it's hard because we're a volunteer organization. But um, yeah, I think we we're building and we've done this already where we've built like we're, we have a hashtag of our Canadian like CDN election, ELXN. Um, so our Canadian election. And uh, we've been posting stuff with that hashtag to remind, to sort of help build an understanding of the process. So, you know, what's a snap election and why is it being called? What does the government actually have control over? Um, why this election is more important than ever. What, what is what has changed in our country between the 2019 election and now because it might not feel like a lot but actually in my opinion i care more today than i did in 2019 i, w- I haven't always been like super engaged in this way i paid attention but i care more because i'm just kind of like the grown-ups do not know what they're doing like this like generation of people ahead of us are intentionally causing harm to our planet and our people and that has to change um so yeah, I think I think uh, we'll be we'll be having a lot more discussions. We'll be engaging more with our community, and we'll be sort of mm-hmm. keeping people up to date on unpacking some stuff. I think you know, uh, 
holding leaders accountable and reminding people like these are like what has their past action been on these issues because it doesn't like it's great that all of a sudden mm-hmm. you know we're seeing commitments to indigenous people who have been saying the same things for like hundreds and hundreds of years but now all of a sudden we're putting money towards it and that's mm-hmm. great but also it's like kind of suspicious because like you can't throw money at every problem right mm-hmm. it's just like for me I'm very very cautious of that as well because I think money gets thrown at things so we forget, right? And uh, that's not going to work this time. <laughs> no, and I think if money had been thrown on some issues, the moment it became publicly, like like uh, the moment we found 215 bodies uh, in Kamloops, BC, if money had been thrown then, I would have had a little bit of respect for it. Like a little, not a lot, but a little. Uh, putting $321 million towards residential schools and like discovery and all of that stuff a week before an election's about to be called, that's a little sus to me. I'm going to have to like sit with that one. And also the drinking water uh, settlement and stuff like that. Like, yeah, what I really want to know is, are we still fighting survivors in court? Like that's like, the, like there's, you can't mm-hmm. pick what indigenous things you care about. You're either like going to make a difference or you're performative. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's like 14 years too late, you know, but I, I totally resonate because I often vote for the lesser of two evils because I know that's how things happen. And so, you know, I'm just like buzzing with ideas and I think maybe we can collaborate and do like a community conversation or town hall in person and virtual because people are gonna be wanting, are gonna be hungry for these answers. I'll tell you, you know, a couple weeks before elections, I'm scrambling to learn more and find out information. And of course, in our news outlets, only selective things are possible. And so we need to be able to have sources of information for those who don't have access to it. Um, and to provide that. And so I think that's super important. And I'm really excited about the role that you're going to play in the upcoming elections. I think you're going to really help me decide on the federal elections and and the future of myself and in my uh, family to be, right? So that's really, really helpful. And, you know, as we come to an end, I want to ask you one of the million dollar questions. You know, I'm so proud of all the work, work you've done. And of course, as you mentioned, this is like a volunteer Thing that you're doing you're not getting paid this is your baby this is something a passion project turn into a huge huge impactful project and you've grown your following to over a hundred thousand uh followers in one year so that's a huge accomplishment i hope that you uh you know soak that in and soak up your amazing work and it speaks volumes about the hunger for information that canadians have especially the gen z's and millennials like myself who are turning to social media outlets so I wanted to ask you what went into building and growing the On Canada project to a, over 100K loyal followers. I honestly, I don't, I think, um, I think it, it was like, you know, like you said, an appetite for it, a conversational approach. And then I think also, um, I think it's not taking ourselves too seriously, like having a very... Like we, we make jokes in some of our posts. We make references to Harry Potter. We do like, we we're like, I write the way that I would talk to a friend about it because I think of the people in this community that we are building as friends, as like, I know I don't really know them, but I feel like a, a connection to them because I know they care and I know they're paying attention. And when you think of it as like someone who's part of your kind of your own or your part of your, your crew, you, you want to set them up for success. And that's, I think what our, what our project's been doing. I also think I've been very, very fortunate to meet 
the right people at the right time who wanted to give their like a piece of their heart to this project really and like dedicate that time. And, and I think always being open to that and being open to like inviting people into these, com- like to like relinquishing a little bit of control and like sharing it and like bringing more voices into it, I think has made us grow in the way that we did in an authentic way. And it's always a little like scary because, you know, you can do this sort of work and cause harm sometimes, but our approach has always been like, Oh, if you, if you F up, like just, just own it and like create, like discuss it on the grid, discuss it as a team, find a way to make sure that mistake doesn't happen again. And I think that sort of openness resonates with our age groups because that's just like, I don't know, it's like common sense. Um, if you make a mistake, own it. Like, Yeah, that transparency piece, right? An yeah. accountability piece. We want that. Yeah, and actually, um, I, I know we're wrapping up, but like one of, we, we've, we have made mistakes, by the way. We're not perfect at, and like we are, you know, like learning and growing and as alongside everybody often. Um, but in one of our first posts that went viral, we had like the settlers take action and we kind of called everyone that was non-Indigenous a settler. And someone DM'd, her name's uh, Kyra, and she DM'd the account being like, hey, this is actually quite harmful. And then she explained it in a way that wasn't like, screw you guys, even though had someone been, people were also mean about it. Um, But I heard it as like, I have caused them harm. And that is why they're feeling this sort of frustration and like reaction to it. So that was okay that they were like a little harsher, a little bit more intense about their feedback. Um, But the way that Kyra sort of said it, um, I was like, thank you so much for telling me, can we hop on a Zoom call and talk? And she said, yes. And like, we met and then she's now a content advisor on our project. And she, like, I text her all the time. She lives in the States, but she's Canadian. And like, it's just like, you know, like she didn't know me. We, I didn't know her. And she was just like, hey, you could do this better. And like, I see your intent. You missed the mark. You could do this better. And being open to that type of feedback. And then we did a correction post with her and we still send her stuff to look over that challenges us to do better and that and that allows us to to live our vision and what we want to like be doing in an even better way and i made a new friend out of it so it was really like a win 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 all around um mm-hmm. and i think that's sometimes what gets missed in these spaces is um being open to it i don't know if you've seen like the parks and recreation show but there's a scene. Oh yes, yeah. There's a scene where Leslie Nope goes. When people yell at me, all I hear because she works in uh, municipal politics. When people yell at me, all I hear is people caring loudly, and I've always heard mm. that in the back of my head to be like, "What have I done that has made someone care loudly?" And if it's totally off the mark, then I'm not gonna like just like whatever with it. But often that I approach it with kindness and go, thank you so much for sharing this. I'm sorry about that. We missed this. And I think that like resonates Mm -hmm. with people because they're so used to defensive responses from accounts and, Mm -hmm. and we're just kind of like a, well, thank you for pointing this out. We did not know, but now we do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you don't know what you don't know. Right. And just having those generous assumptions and calling people in. And I think because your account has that tone, that's heart centered, like you said, like talking to your friends and you're calling people into conversation, you're not calling them out, uh, that folks themselves feel like they can call you in and call you out in a way that is respectful. Mm-hmm. And we're all learning, right? I make mistakes. We all make mistakes. You know, um, the way I consider a term, for example, other folks won't. Uh, and, and all of that, I think, is is really important. And 
And so what's next for, for uh, On Canada Project? Do you have any things that you can share with us or projects on the go that you can share with us? Yeah, I mean, so one of the things that we're trying to do is build out a collective um, on one side where because we've kind of become known as like compassionate communicators, how do we take that and make some money off of it, supporting people that we can then use to pay our writing team and pay, like, you know, start changing it to sort of a social enterprise. Well, I don't know if I'm allowed to announce it publicly yet, but um, we we did like get a, a pretty sizable contract to work and co-create a solution with someone. And um, I'm so bad at keeping secrets. The, the part of the honesty on the account is just, I don't know how to keep my mouth shut, but yeah, no, um, yeah, we're working on a lot of really cool things and we're looking to collaborate in a way that's like co-creative and not us like contracting out and like making it kind of detached. We want it to be like, come, let's all work on it together and, you know, uh, uplift BIPOC-owned businesses or BIPOC freelancers or solo entrepreneurs to lift them up um, and help use our like 100K following to not just benefit our team and the work we're doing, but other organizations that are, you know, maybe an expert in video production, an expert in um, a certain issue and whatever the case may be that we can then bring them in and like lend them that like, you know, just we're trying to build out a community that works together. Absolutely. And I think collaboration is the key, right? We're so often told in this capitalistic world that we have to be competitive and and it's a you know dog eat dog world, but it doesn't have to be. We can come together in collective action and I think support each other. That's definitely my mission and that's part of my value system. So I appreciate that. And very lastly, I noticed uh, that you also have some new merchandise out right now. Can you tell us about that? Where folks can find it, buy it, purchase it, all of that? Yeah. So uh, we are partnering with a local uh, women-owned um, like business of called Do Better Folks. So if you go to dobetterfolks.com backslash on Canada, um, for a limited time, there are three really cool shirts that we designed with our team. Like, so everyone contributed to ideas and we did a vote. It was like this whole like process. Um, and the shirts say community over competition, which is sort of like definitely how we approach everything. Um, disrupt the status quo because that's what we hope to be doing. And then the future is ours because it is. Um, and they're really cute. Um, I picked up a couple of them. Uh, and Can't I'm, wait. I'm, I'm, I think they're really adorable and they're, and they're soft and they're pretty. So uh, please get one and um, and uh, uh, all the proceeds go towards things like us getting project management tool and like Zoom and all of that. So, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's awesome. Well, Samantha, thank you so much for joining me today. Is there anything else you want to share with our listeners? Um, I'll put all the links that you share with us. We'll connect. We'll put them all in the show notes so people can access them. Anything else? Any final words you want to share with folks? Um. Just that I hope that you feel inspired to take action and um, make change in your community, in your life, however you see fit. And if you if you want some help in that, feel free to DM the accounts, the account, and I'm happy to, to have a back and forth. I'm a big fan of voice notes now, so I'll send you a voice note. Um, but yeah, uh, I think we can do anything we want as long as we do it together, so... 
Absolutely. I love that. Well, thank you again for taking your time to be here with me today and chat with me. I think this is such a great and important conversation for folks. So I'm really excited for our listeners to listen and please comment, engage with the podcast. It's not just our conversation. It's all of our conversation. Right. So please do interact with that. Thank you so much. 